Tzoraim Tov, we continue in the Sefer Das Hasfiros. If you have the Sefer and you're following following along, we are uh, on page Lamed Vav 36. We're discussing the word Sfiros. What do they mean? And we ended the class by saying that Sfiros is from the word Sapir, like a sapphire that shines. Also, the word Mispar, a number. And we said numbers are different than letters. <laughs> Because, first of all, numbers are associated one with another. And as well, letters have a certain uh, uh, understanding by the shape of the letter. There's a lot that can be said about the shape of one letter is different than another. But numbers don't really have a shape, so to speak. So you only have what you have there and nothing more than that. And that's why the spheros are related to numbers and not to letters because um, you're trying, when you're talking about uh, what's coming from Hashem, whether it's Chesed, Gvura, Tiferes, from Hashem, there's no differences. It's all one Hashem. It's not we separate Hashem into pieces. So Hashem is a little bit like this, a little bit like that. Hashem is a unique oneness that we have no concept from. And numbers express that better than letters. And the Vilna Gon gives another ex- explanation he says numbers like have no limit. Numbers go to infinitum, while letters are have a limit. And therefore Hashem's flow that comes from them is infinite. There's no end to numbers, but there is an end to letters. And therefore ten spheros, but that the numbers never end from that. It's interesting on the bottom he gives another interesting story. Sphera comes towards Sipor, a story. And therefore, they're called Sviros because the, the, uh, it says in Tehillim, Hashemayim, the heavens, Mesaprim, quote, Kel. They tell the story of Hashem. So if you want to know the story of Hashem, life is a story. It's a story that's a 6,000-year-old story. If you want to understand the story of how, when, when you hear a story, things become more understandable. To realize that the Sviros are really authoring a great story of the world. If we understood the spheros, you'd understand the story as we shall see as we continue. Okay, we already mentioned the idea of the ten spheros that are within a person. I think we touched on that yesterday where we said that the right arm represents chesed, that's kindness. The left arm represents gvur, which is control. The letters are Netzach and Hod, endurance and uh, humility. The torso is in between the hands. That's Tiferes. That's the combination of Chesed and Gvura. And the reproductive organ is Yesod, which is bonding. And the mouth is kingship. Because when a king, his greatest power, he only has to say, and it is done. So as the famous movie said, so it is said and so it is done. King only has to say he doesn't have to do anything else. Um, what about that's the seven lower spheros? What about the higher ones? Chachma, wisdom is the brain, bina understanding is the heart, and the keser is the crown. Because the crown, so to speak, circumscribes one's thoughts. That's above the brain, so to speak. And and das we'll see is interchangeable with keser. Okay. Now, the reason for all this, so we're seeing is a parallel between the human body and God's 
energies that he sends to the world because a human being is considered an olam katan, a micro universe. <clears throat> As the Vilna Gaon says, that a, a human being, everything in the universe is inside a human being. Every element in the world, there's a little bit of every element in a human being. It's a microcosm. And therefore, the Talmud says as well, everything Hashem created in the world, He created in a human being. And therefore, when we say a human being is in the image of God, that's the idea. Everything that what God created is in, we see in the human being. So now we can understand something fascinating. If a person really understands the makeup of his soul and his body, he doesn't have to be a scientist. He doesn't have to go to faraway places. He can understand what the whole world is about. If you really, because the whole world is just a micro, it's a macrocosm of the human who's a microcosm. And we said yesterday also that the Mishkan and the Beisad Mikdash parallels that as well. And therefore, what comes out of all this, whatever the human being does, it's attached to what goes on into the world. And therefore, when the human being does things with his power, he acts upon the world in the greatest way, positive or negative. So people who are worried about climate change, therefore, we laugh at all this. Religious Jews who understand Muslim will laugh at all this. The climate depends on only one thing, humanity. But not what humanity does with their garbage, but rather the garbage they throw into the world through their mouths and minds and actions. And that's historically a fact. It's a fact. When did the climate destroy the world? The flood. Yeah, Wasn't that climate change? Yeah. Does it say because they used up too many uh, uh, plastic bags? Yeah. The flood came. The flood came because people were wicked. What does that mean? Their actions caused the world to change and destroy them. And therefore, what man does in terms of morally and character-wise, that is what controls the climate. And the, the deeper part is, and, and nowadays it's not the non-Jews who control, it's what the Jews are controlling it. So therefore, we have to understand, you don't want hurricanes. One of these, don't talk Lashon Har. Lashon Har comes from the breath of your mouth. So if you're speaking Lashon Har, don't expect to have hurricanes. That's wind. It's breath. You don't want hurricanes. Don't talk Lashon Har. We you're right. Human beings can control the climate, but not in the phys through physical means, but through spiritual means. And any cataclysm that happened to the world from nature is always related to what man's actions are doing. And just making sure to, to you know, to have a Tesla is not going to change anything. It's not going to change anything. And for much more reason, I don't want to get into it. Yes? So, Rabbi, I understand. You said God made a man in his image. And yes. He has everything in yes. Him. My question is, why was he created last? And why is nothing compared to any other, not even compared to a mosquito? He's lower than a mosquito. First of all, it's created last because, you know, when you get invited to a wedding, do they invite you at 7 o'clock or do they invite you at noon? 7. Why don't they invite you at noon? Because nothing's ready. Yeah. Do you want your guests to see the tables looking, you know what tables look like without the tablecloths? <laughs> they look disgusting. <laughs> look disgusting. You want to invite him only when everything's ready. Man was created when everything was ready. 
The whole world was created for man to use, so it's all got to be there before man has to come. However, there's two parts of the human being. There's the soul that was created before the world was created and the body which was created last. So yeah, you were created last so that the body, when it connects with the soul, will be able to have the whole world there. But if a human being does not live up to his potential and only focuses on the body and not the soul, then we say you were created even after the mosquito. If you're focusing on your body, you're not even as good as a mosquito. Focusing on your soul, then you're on the top of the totem pole. Okay, so that is that idea. There's one other point to the spheros. Spheros are also called midos. Now, the literal translation of the word midos, we think it means character, but that's not the real translation. Mida means a measurement. And it's a measurement of God's conduct in the world, so to speak. And measurement expresses a limitation. So what's going on over here? What's going on is very simple. God's power is unlimited. God is unlimited. His power is unlimited. If God would, would send his energies the way God is, it's unlimited, the whole world would be blown apart. It would, it would just be destroyed because God's power is infinite. So what does God have to do? He had to measure how much power will he put into the world. And we only see a little drop of the measurement of God's power. When God wants to bring kindness into the world, he brings it in through the sphere of chesed, kindness. But just a little drop, what we can contain of it. And therefore we can understand it. We can't understand infinity. God purposely lets into our reality a very small mida, small measure that we that will be beneficial for us. Too much will destroy us. And therefore, it's a way that we can analyze it. In other words, the whole point is we're trying to analyze the way God is. That's where we should emulate that. I can't emulate infinity. So God has the spheros, which is just a mida. It goes together. We... They're, they're, they're interchangeable terms. Spheros, meet the spheros tells us about mitos, about character development. And character development has to be in a certain measure. Too much kindness is no good. Too much control is no good. Not enough kindness isn't good. So it's all a, a measure. And God's flow is measured to suit our needs, not because Hashem can't give more. And that's why they are connected. And from this, we now go to another concept which is called, we're just throwing a lot of information at you. And as soon as we finish uh, about the first five essays, then we go back into each separate sphera and we digest it easily. We're just giving you a big overview here. When we get into chesed, we'll go into great detail what chesed's about. We're just trying to see the breadth of what's going on over here. There's another concept called oros, the lights, and kalim and the utensils. Rav Cook, many of his form were called orot, light. So what does it mean? In the spheros, there's a concept of light and receptacles. Just so we know there's a body and a soul. There's a relationship between the soul, which is like the light, and the body is the recipient. So the same thing it is with God's contact with the world. There are utensils that are created by God to receive the light 
And the light is an analogy to Hashem bringing his energy into the world. Now again, these are all analogies. We talk about God's sending his energy, we call it light. Why do we call it light? So Lutzado explains very simply, of all the natural phenomena that exist in the world, which is the most a thorough um, part of nature? Light. You can't touch it. No one denies its existence. Can you touch any light? Nobody denies that light has a great impact on the world. Without light, we have no world. Now, earth is important too, but I can touch earth. Rain is important, I can touch rain. Fire, I can touch fire. I can touch everything. But there's nothing as important as light and nothing so subtle. It's the least physical of all. Okay? And also, light has no boundaries. How do you contain light? You can't contain light. Like water, I could put water into a utensil. What can you put light into? Room. Well, not really, because the light goes past the room. You understand? I take sand, I put it in a cup. I take, you know, everything else can somehow be contained in something. So we want to talk about God's energy, his flow. We use light because it's the closest thing to what God's flow is because God's flow is certainly something we can't feel or touch. And it's something that's never ending. So if we use this concept of light, but it is that which God gives into us and then we have utensils to receive this. So that's one understanding. And ultimately, the spheros are these utensils. So to understand a little better okay, is to understand that God is sending down all kinds of energies, all kinds of energies, and they're constricted energies so that we're able to handle them. And he gives it to the degree that the recipient is able to handle it, okay? If, the, if he, God would give too much, it would destroy the utensil. And therefore, the spheros are the tools that are able to handle the energy that Hashem sends into us, the spheros are the caleb, they're the utensils, and they grasp part of the light, so to speak, and it's channeled in a certain way based on the light. A very simple analogy would be as following. Water. What color is water? It has no real color. Now, what if you pour water into a glass? Still no color. What if the glass is tainted red? All of a sudden, the water looks red. If it's tainted blue, it looks blue. Has the water changed? No. no, but our vision of the water has changed. Therefore, God's energy is a pure energy. It's a pure energy. It's again, the analogy of light on one side of a prism and light coming out on the other side of a prism. So therefore, the spheros is the light coming out on the other side of the prism. And when God sends his energy, now depending on which receptacle is taking the light, it will come out in a certain way. And that's why we always call God's energy the light because there's no real description of it that you can use. Light is white light, but from white light you have the Roy G. Biv colors of the rainbow. 
Now, what happened? Is it Roy G. Is it white? Well, it's really white. But once it hits the universe, and you have the right combination of, of sunlight and water and mist and this and that, all of a sudden you get the Roy G. Biv. And therefore, the same thing is with the spheros. It's really just manifesting, manifesting in that way. And therefore, just like we can't say that God is a master of chesed, because kindness is something that's revealed on the other side of the, of the prism. God's the source of all the chesed. But we can't limit God to kindness. Oh, God's in a kind mood today. He'll decide to be nice to us. He's in an angry mood. You can't say that about God. God is a pure energy, but it filters. And those filters are the spheros that he created to have that manifest in the world. Then he gets into more um, detailed things that I don't want to spend a lot of time on right now because it's way beyond um, what we're going to deal with. But also all the names of Hashem. There's different names of Hashem relate to the different spheros because there's 10 different ways of saying Hashem's name. You have yud Hey vav Hey, You have yud Hey, You have Aleph, Dalud, Nun, Yud. There's a number of names of Hashem that also can be understood in terms of the sphero that it's manifesting. And I don't really want to go into that. It's way beyond. But to just understand it's connected to Hashem's name. Okay, good. We now move on to the third essay. And now it talks about how the ten spheros, how they relate to the different portions of creation. And as we already said, that the ten spheros are really revealing, it's the source of the conduct of Hashem vis-a-vis the world. So therefore, they express them in every fashion of creation. And then when you look at the whole world, it's all ten. Everything you're looking at, or three and seven. Three, the higher spheros that we don't see, seven, the lower spheros we don't see. Let's go and give as many examples as time will allow today. And you'll see in terms of spirituality, so many spiritual concepts are based on this. We start with the very famous, and you have to understand, therefore, people like the Mesil Yeshur and Ramosha Chaim Lutzato, and the classic safe that everybody learns is Mesil Yeshur, the path of the just. And when you learn it, it seems pretty straightforward, very profound, but it's not, it doesn't seem to be a Kabbalistic work at all. But you see, Lutzato was covering it all up. He was a master Kabbalist. And he presented Kabbalah in such an easy to digest way, you didn't even think you were learning Kabbalah. And there are things I haven't even begun to talk about. Next week, we'll start something called the Partsufim, which are the faces of Hashem. What that means, we'll discuss. All I can say now is there's five faces. That's all I'm going to say right now. There's five. There's five faces and ten spheros. Next week, we'll discuss what partsufim are, and that has a very uh, qualitative, um, adds a qualitative dimension to the ten spheros. But Lutzado, as he talks about in his introduction, he talks about what's the purpose of man in this world, the purpose of man. You know, he says, I, I have written this book just for things that you already know. And he discusses why people don't discuss ethical improvement and things like that. Great scholars only learn Talmud. And they're not learning uh, Midos. They're not learning to uh, improve your character and all these things. And he says there's a verse in Deuteronomy that tells us everything that Hashem wants from us. He says, and now what does Hashem ask from you but only? Now we get five clauses. Le'yires Hashem alokecha, to fear Hashem. 
Leleches bechol derachov to go in all his ways. Laavo so to love him. Vlaavo des Hashem lokecha bechol avavchal nashcha to serve Hashem with all your heart and all your soul. And lishmor es mitzvus Hashem es chukasav and to guard his mitzvus and his statutes. How many clauses was there? Five. And he says, and that is what the whole avoda of a Jew is. These are the five things that Hashem wants. And he goes and explains that fear doesn't mean fear of being punished, but being in awe of God's grandeur. That's, that's what the Torah says. That's what Hashem wants you to be in awe of him. To go in his ways. What does it mean to go in his ways? It means to emulate his mitos. Okay, love. Well, obviously, you know, you, you love Hashem, you want to give him nachas. Okay, and etc. you know, keeping all the mitzvahs. And all these things are all like obvious things. That is the heart and soul and core of what Yiddishkeit is. It doesn't say learn Gemara. Now, of course, you do learn Gemara. But learn Gemara is for the purpose of one of those five. It's got to hit that purpose. If you're not looking at that purpose... That's what we'll see later is the five parts of him. But then he says, and therefore, all these things in the little table. And then he says, oh, I saw a statement in the Talmud from a Pinchas Benyar who created, and that's the source of the entire Sefer. Now count with your finger. He says the following, you count. Torah brings a person to watchfulness. Watchfulness leads a person to zeal. Zeal leads to cleanliness. Cleanliness leads to separation. Separation leads to purity. Purity leads to saintliness. Saintliness leads to humility. Humility leads to fear of sin. Fear of sin leads to holiness. You got 10 right there. There is a ladder. That ladder, and we don't have time. We're not doing now, but corresponds, everyone corresponds to another sphero. And ultimately, holiness leads to the Holy Spirit, that means prophecy, and eventually to revival of the dead. So what you see again, and this is the bread and butter, the Bible of Musr. And what's it really all based on? The ten spheros. But he cloaks it all. So then we'll talk about watchfulness, alacrity, and, and behaviors without talking a word about spheros. So to realize that there's a lot of dimensions that are all coming out of the spheres, out of our releasing this. Now, there's another interesting thing. The Kabbalist tells us, now, how many dimensions are there? We ask a scientist, how many dimensions are there? What will they tell you? What? Five. Five dimensions, yeah? I think so. You think so, okay. <laughs> you speak to a Kabbalist, we'll tell you there's three dimensions. What are the three dimensions? It's called Olam. Shana and Nefesh. Olam literally means world, which means space, land. Okay, Shana, year, means time. Nefesh means soul. Everything in the world has to be seen through those three dimensions. Olam is the physical world. Space. Okay, time, time, space, soul. Now, really, if you think about them, okay, world is kind of easy to kind of measure. Time, you can sort of measure. Soul's a lot harder to measure. But that is the essence of all reality. And some of the scientific dimensions are subsumed within these three dimensions, and science doesn't even know about soul. 
So this is an example and how the spheros will impact on all of them. Let's look at space. The Talmud says there's 10 levels of holiness in the world, starting in Eretz Yisrael. <coughs> and it goes through going 10 areas of space, which are holier than others. Going all the way to the holiest of holies in the temple, then to the courtyard of the temple, then to the temple mount, then to Jerusalem, then it goes on and on. So there's 10 levels of real estate on planet Earth. Why are there 10? Because it's relating to the 10 spheros. Rav Tzadok says, what about in time? There's 10 levels of holy time in descending order. Shabbos is on the top. That's the holiest one. Yom Kippur, below that. Yom Tov, Chol Hamoed, Rosh Chodesh, Erev Pesach, because you bring a Korban Pesach, Chanukah, Purim, Tuba Av, and the regular weekdays that are sanctified through the study of Torah. So now we have, in time, the ten spheros are deciding the elements of time. And in soul, and in soul, we talk about in every generation, there's ten types of soul. Okay? And we have, in every generation, there's the person who is, for example, like when we had the Jewish people, we had a Kohen Gadol. He was the big Jew. Every generation has to have the Jew who's the heart of the Jewish people, the great, great leader. Then we have the next are the three great scholars of every generation. And then you have the students of the scholars, those who support the scholars, those who serve the scholars, those who give benefit from the scholars, etc., etc. So there's 10 types of groups. And there were also, when we left Babylonia to go back to Israel, there are 10 different levels of people. So you see that this spheros is affecting every dimension of existence. And let's continue. Let's continue. Uh, so we said there are three spheros that are above, that's like in the mind, you can't really see them, and seven below. The seven below, starting from Chesed down to Machos, they reflect what's going down in this world. And therefore, what's going on in this world is a lot of sevens in this world. The seven, because this world only can contain its reveals. The lower seven spheres is what we see happening. The higher three are all in the mind. They're the wisdom, desires, things you can't really see. So that's way above. But in our world, seven is the bottom seven of the ten. And he brings a whole number of interesting things. If you're looking at something geometrically, how many directions do you see? Seven. Right? Because you've got at six. You got, you got up, down, east, west, north, south, and then point center. You follow? That's seven, which is really a deeper understanding of the Mog and David. Star of David has how many points? Six. Six. Not like a star, it's five. Remember, six and point center is one. Until recently, and it's very interesting, people say, you know, people in Talmud don't know what they're talking about. Talmud said outside of planet Earth, there's seven planets. What are the planets? Well, Saturn, Jupiter, 
Mars, Venus, Mercury, the Sun and the Moon, and of course Earth. So you're all saying, wait a minute, what about Neptune, Uranus, and Pluto? <laughs> we already got rid of Pluto. <laughs> it's just a matter of time till we get rid of the other two. You understand? And they were so far away, they don't really affect us at all. You know, the scientists are only, uh, how, remember, we always had to memorize the nine planets. And don't forget Pluto. So why, why what happened to Pluto? Recently, they got rid of it. Why did they get rid of Pluto? You'll see, they're going to get rid of Neptune and Uranus too. But again, that it only affects us in this world. Let's take a look at another thing. How many major parts do you have in the head of a person? Tell me all the parts that are in your head. Let's start. Tell me what you have in your... Look at your head. Look at somebody else's head. Tell me what they've got. Five uh, sensory organs. No, no, no. What do you see with your eyes? Look at that person's face and tell me what you see. How many eyes? Two. Two. How many ears? Two. How many nostrils? Two. How many mouths? One. Seven. Okay. How many firmaments are there? Seven firmaments. How many days of the week? Seven. Seven. How many deserts did the Jewish people cross when they had to enter Israel? Seven. How many weeks from Pesach to Shavuos? How many years in a Shemitah cycle? How many Shemitah cycles are there in a Jubilee year? Seven. Seven times seven. Too many sevens going on over here. Right? Okay. So eight is above them, right? Well, eight is beyond. Eight is beyond. How many days of creation were there? Seven. seven. How many days of the week? We said seven. What does that mean? It means days of the week, Sunday, is a day of chesed. That's a day that chesed is supposed to be prominent. So if you begin to understand the days of the week, then you have to understand what we should be doing. Monday is a day of gvura. Every day, Friday is Yisod, connecting heaven and earth, and Shabbos is Malchus, is the kingdom. But more than that, we have... Every day of creation, Ramban says, was a model for the seven millennia of world history. Because it's the prophet says a day, a thousand years is like a day for God. And therefore, the first thousand years of world history are parallel to the first day of creation. Where, so to speak, God put the cartridge of a thousand years of existence into Sunday. And another thousand years into Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. If you're a Kabbalist, you'll understand Sunday is a day of chesed and the focus has to be on chesed. Monday is gvura. You have to have gvura. Who wants to go to work on Monday? <laughs> right? It, it, well, the more you know about every sphere, you'll understand what every day is all about. Now, we could take it a little bit further. Well, if, if every one of the seven days of creation represented a thousand years, well, the first thousand years... Were there any people doing anything good at all? No. So why did God let them live? We say, Olam Chesed the world lived on kindness. There was no Torah, no mitzvahs, people do anything. Why were they alive? Show was kind. Okay. But in the second thousand years, I said, I had enough of this. Flood, Tower of Babel, Sodom, all destroyed. That was Gvura. That was control. Third millennia. Ah, that's when we got the Torah. 
Torah is Tiferis, is the blend of kindness and control, because now Hashem was kind to give us the Torah, but we have to live up to that, what we have over there. And the fourth millennia is called Netzach, is eternity. That's when we had the Beis Hamikdash. And the fifth is Hod, humility. That's when it was destroyed and we were humbled. And the sixth is the, the borderline between, is, is, um, is, is um, what do you call it? Yesod bonding is when it's time to connect with Hashem to bring Mashiach. And that's going to be in the seventh millennium, which is Shabbos, which is all connected to Hashem. And the sixth is the chance to connect, get into the Shabbos, to connect. And that's the millennium we're in now, and we're almost out of time. But guess what? Can you, halachically, can you bring Shabbos in early? Yes. Yes. So the same idea we can bring Mashiach. So the last thousand years that we're in now, the sixth millennia, we could always have brought Shabbos in early if we so chose by our behaviors. Okay, we will continue with this tomorrow, getting into metals, colors, and other things that are all sevens, which we will see. Okay. Shkoyach.